Welcome to the Responsible Finance Podcast, the official podcast of the Responsible Finance and Investment Foundation. I am Blake Good, the CEO of the RFI Foundation, a global nonprofit organization working to build awareness, promote research, and encourage convergence in the responsible finance industry, including socially responsible investment, ESG, Islamic finance, and impact investment. The purpose of the Responsible Finance Podcast is to connect you to the leaders behind innovative approaches to creating positive social impact in responsible finance. In this podcast, we talk to Dr. Aisha Muniza, who has a fascinating background and breadth of experience in Islamic finance. Dr. Muniza is currently an associate professor at NCF in Malaysia, and she has brought her experience as one of the key founders of Islamic finance in the Maldives. She is the first female deputy minister at the Ministry of Islamic Affairs and the first chairperson of the Hajj Pilgrimage Fund of the Maldives. Currently, she is the chairperson of the Maldives Center for Islamic Finance. In addition to her research in Islamic finance, she has practical experience in the industry as well, structuring the first corporate sukuk, sovereign sukuk, and Islamic treasury instruments for the government of Maldives. She's been involved in development of Islamic finance products at more than 11 institutions, including designing the first Islamic microfinance scheme offered in the Maldives, she sits in Sharia advisory committees of financial institutions, including holding the position of chairperson of three different Sharia committees. She's also the chairperson of the Sharia Advisory Council of CMDA, the Capital Markets Regulatory Authority of the Maldives since 2011. And she designed the Islamic Capital Markets Framework for the Maldives. She has won numerous national and international awards for her service in Islamic finance, including the Rehendi Award, the highest award conferred to women by the government of the Maldives. And relevant to our conversation with her, she's a role model and a mentor for females who aspire to build their careers in Islamic finance. And she's the vice president of Women on Boards, an NGO advocating women representation on boards of companies. I hope you enjoy the conversation with Dr. Muniza. Do you want to introduce yourself and share a bit about your background, uh, both with developing Islamic finance in the Maldives and also what you're working on now? Um, as you know, my name is Ashut Muniza. At the moment, I work as, the, as an associate professor with INSEF, the Global University of Malaysia. And I'm also the chairperson of Maldives Center for Islamic Finance. So I have worked uh, in Maldives to develop and sustain Islamic finance in the country, uh, starting from 2011. So I have helped the country to set up the Islamic capital market uh, framework and also the Tabung Haji or the Hajj Fund of Maldives. Um, and I have helped the country to set up more, more than 11 financial institutions offering Islamic finance. And there, there have been a few sukuk issued under the, the framework that you set up with the capital markets? Uh, yes. Um, Actually, I structured the first corporate, um, first two corporate sukuk for Maldives and the Islamic treasury instruments offered by the government of Maldives as well. Great, and now you're an associate professor at, at NCF. Uh, what, are you, what is your area of focus uh, at NCF? Um, actually, I focus more on the Sharia issues and the legal issues related to Islamic finance. 
You wrote an article recently about the, some of the challenges that women face, uh, particularly in regard to economic decision-making, uh, having, or having the ability to make their own economic decisions, and uh, especially with, with their ability to accumulate and manage their own wealth. Can you give an overview of the main points from your article? The whole idea of the article is that um, there are perceptions uh, in the market saying that uh, females are not capable of making their own decisions when it comes to wealth management in Islam. The reason behind is um, in Islam, um, it's advocated that uh, Muslim women should be under men. So that's the verse they take. So my belief is that uh, right now, if we look at uh, the jurisdictions in the world, uh, we find that uh, females are being sidelined when it comes to the wealth management and economic empowerment aspects. So as long as the, I mean, today we have, a, we have seen a society that is not so much dependent on uh, male anymore. As such, we need to learn from the previous Islamic eras and we need to find a solution for that whereby it's proposed that uh, even women will have to think about wealth management and uh, it's no longer, you know, believed that uh, women are much more inferior than men when it comes to wealth management and uh, economic empowerment. And I have given um, the evidence from the Prophet Sallallahu era whereby his uh, beloved wife, uh, Khadija Radiallahu is a really uh, example for the for women empowerment in the current era. So the whole idea is about that. And then within the Islamic finance industry, is there is there a good enough strategy for the institutions to reach women? Or it sounds like that there's a significant gap in terms of the ability of Islamic financial institutions to recognize women as, uh, as a unique market that they need to develop specific strategies geared around the, the actual needs and, and preferences for, for women. Yes, definitely. Um, the statistics shows that clearly. However, the truth that we have to understand is that it's not easy to, you know, strategize in this because uh, we're talking about different uh, countries. So in different countries, they have different social and uh, cultural uh, phenomena going on uh, starting from immemorial time. So when it comes to uh, informing, a, uh, sorry, uh, implementing a uniform strategy, we will find difficulties. However, we need to think more about economic participation and opportunity, how to increase economic participation and the opportunities of women. Um, how do we uh, resolve the educational disparity between uh, male and females, how do we provide uh, male and female equal educational opportunity when it comes to health and survival aspect of uh, humans, how do we uh, manage females who are situated in um, developing parts of the world where they have, you know, different set of cultures and different uh, set of social norms applicable to them. And especially uh, political empowerment is also an area that we have to emphasize. So it's easier to say that these are the areas that we have to focus, but 
when it really comes to implementation, what we have to understand is that uh, we need to understand the different social background of the areas and you know, formulate strategies that can best fit those areas because there, there are no universal set of rules or universal set of strategies that could be applied throughout the world when it comes to resolving of these issues. It's important that uh, we don't play with the cultural or the you know, social uh, sentiments of the people when it comes to resolving these problems. For example, when it comes to educational attainment or uh, resolving uh, educational problems, there are some countries in the world where uh, females are given less opportunity when it comes to especially tertiary educational opportunities. So actually the whole, uh, the whole reason behind such hesitations is derived from the social norms of those countries and we need to find a way that this problem could be resolved um, in a customized manner. Otherwise, I don't think we will see uh, you know, uh, the result of implementing so, such universal strategies uh, across the world. We just need to focus more on customization of those. Yeah, and how, have you seen any countries that have taken particularly successful efforts to, to increase educational attainment or increase uh, business ownership uh, or employment opportunities uh, among, among women uh, in OIC countries? Uh, yes, definitely. For example, if you look at um, Dubai or UAE, you'll find that um, it's, if you look at the statistics, it is uh, quite surprising to find that uh, women do participate in wealth management and they do run businesses. So if you look at the example of UAE, we find that women are much more emancipated uh, compared to other um, Middle Eastern countries. So what we understand from the example of uh, UAE is that provided that the state plays a vital role in creating education and awareness among the gender as well as you know the past communities or the people who have this type of mindset, they can uh, create a difference in the society. So I think UAE is, UA is one of the good examples when it comes to uh, women empowerment or women female participation in financial industries. And you mentioned that there's a significant variance between countries in terms of social norms about women uh, being active in business and in, in wealth management. What, uh, what, it, what have been some effective ways uh, in countries that, that, are, uh, that have fewer opportunities for women compared to the UAE uh, to, to get the process started? Is it something that, that happens at the, in the, within educational institutions trying to reach out specifically to women? Is it financial institutions reaching out specifically to women? Is it government, uh, government actions that, that are needed to spark a change? I think um, the best strategy which I could share will be um, quota system, introducing quota system for women. For example, whether uh, 
it is economic opportunity or educational attainment or um, health sector or political empowerment, uh, definitely we need to introduce a quota system for women so that at least, you know, the whole country will acknowledge the importance of giving opportunity to women. Some people argue that uh, if we introduce quota system, that simply means that we are neglecting the capacity of gender and we are just, you know, giving a free ride to women rather than uh, selecting uh, a person or an individual based on the qualification and capacity. But I believe otherwise because to start with, definitely in order to get social acknowledgement in some of the societies, it's important that we force or through quota system, we tell them that this is how it should be. And once it's get automated, definitely we don't need to uh, talk about the quota system anymore, even for education and uh, even in economic activities or in the political involvements, definitely they will be getting opportunity uh, easily once the whole uh, perception of people changes over the years. So I believe that um, that's the way to start this whole uh, narrowing gender gap uh, in different aspects, uh, whether it's political education or wealth management. Is, does, that, does that get to, the, to some of the breaking down the social barriers to the women face in terms of if you give women an opportunity through a, through a quota system at, at, in education or, or in finance. And then you, that gives a, a chance for, for women to, to demonstrate their experience and demonstrate that they can do the job. And then that sort of breaks down the, the cultural barriers that uh, are based on perceptions that, that are not accurate about women's ability to do to do jobs in finance and to get education. Um, yes, definitely it could. Because if we look at um, different countries of the world, but it's, I mean, I don't feel it right to name specific countries. So let me just mm -hmm. say generally. Um, those countries who have established um, the quota system, we see the success of that in the sense that um, right now the whole thing is there is a invisible barrier in the societies though we don't uh, you know specifically say that we are not giving opportunity to women uh, that's what we practically do so if you were to change uh, that or if you want to acknowledge that invisible barrier between gender female and male, what we have to do is give them opportunities. So the only way we could provide opportunities by acknowledging that we, we have this problem and then we need to find a solution for that. And how to find solution is basically by giving opportunities. So how do we give them the opportunity? The only way to provide opportunity, especially when we talk about equal opportunity is by, you know, acknowledging that since this problem is there, the only way we could uh, resolve this is by um, making sure or ensuring that, you know, there are a certain number of women participating, participating in this particular field where there is no uh, participation of females right now. So that is something we have to acknowledge and that is something we have to do. And there are very good examples in the world, especially the Euro if you look at the European countries, there are some countries 
who have succeeded in this. So if we take examples from those countries and those societies, I believe that even Muslim countries can learn from that and uh, you know, try to make a difference in this. Especially for example, let's say, um, in the past, we've been always talking about whether in a Muslim country can we appoint female judges. So that has been a probing question in the past. But how did we resolve that? By giving opportunity to females, right? If we were just merely talking about it and if we did nothing about it in terms of providing opportunities to women, then even now we would be talking about the same issue and we wouldn't see any change in this. So I believe that that's a good example to look at and even in economic empowerment, that is something uh, we can uh, follow. And that type of, uh, of policy that, that gives experience to women, is that is that how you get uh, a larger pool of, of qualified women to, to eventually move the, uh, the share of women uh, more at the more senior level within within finance or within education? Um, yes, I believe so, because um, today the main problem is not about um, whether people believe that females have capacity or not, whether they have enough experience or not. If they're giving uh, opportunity for a male with the type of experience and type of um, um, background which he possesses, I believe that the same opportunity should be pro provided to a female to prove herself. So that is what is lacking right now uh, in the industries. And do you see a strong role in this career development for trying to develop either champions for uh, for greater share of women within within business today, or mentors uh, of women or men uh, who can mentor uh, mentor women as they move up uh, the, their career. Uh, yes, mentorship is also important. But the thing is, again, what we have to understand is in different countries, if um, right. the, if there's no opportunity given, then the mentorship might fail as well. So today, uh, fortunately, with the technological advancements, we're able to reach uh, women in different parts of the world without physically uh, going there. So as a result, there are a number of women who are uh, liberating themselves from these uh, cultural and social convictions which uh, they face, because normally we see this type of behavior in patriarchal societies. So to you know, to face those cultural barriers, those invisible social barriers, uh, definitely uh, they need strength. And that strength comes from those experienced women in um, parts of the world where they have already liberated themselves from those types of, uh, I would say, backward cultures or social ideas. So I believe that, yes, mentorship plays a vital role in that, but without opportunity, there's nothing much the mentorship uh, could do as well. And right now, if we look at um, some of the OIC countries, the trend is that there are invisible social barriers or cultural barriers, which, uh, which eliminates any opportunity that is being given to women that makes them uh, less superior or inferior uh, to men. 
Yeah, and, get, and getting back to the to the point about about quotas, about holding this uh, these positions, these spaces uh, of opportunity for women. How how does that process evolve within a you know country wherever it is along the scale? Is it something that's motivated? Was it is that the leadership is motivated by the the economic cost of not having women in uh, in the workforce, in the financial sector, in the education sector? Is it something that's that's purely motivated by the uh, by arguments about equality of opportunity? What what have been successful successful ways to to convince convince leadership to to make these opportunities available for women? Um, yes, when we talk about um, quota system, definitely um, there are some reservations which is put, uh, put forth by the uh, political leaders as well. Because as I um, said before, uh, they believe that quality is compromised because of that. So if you look at a uh, quota system um, historically, uh, prior to 1985, we find that only four countries um, have adopted uh, gender quotas, especially for electoral uh, system. But now if you look at the statistics, um, if I remember correctly, there are more than 88 countries in the world um, who have already legislated or incorporated quota laws in order to increase uh, women representations in politics. Because the successful uh, implementation of quota system created the domino effect uh, among the countries in the world whereby, you know, when one country saw the success story of another, they started legislating it to the extent that now more than 88 countries of the world is adopting the same legislation. So this proves that at least there is some result provided by the quota system, even though some people believe that quota system is something uh, which must not be advocated for the sake of quality and uh, capacity promoting. So I believe that if we were to adopt a quota system, definitely we have to choose a, a top-down approach. The, definitely, first of all, the political um, leadership must acknowledge uh, this, that it's important to have such a system. Then only we can implement it within a jurisdiction, even if, uh, you know, generally, those people who work uh, for women rights advocated or not. So it should come within the political um, leadership existing in the country. If not, um, I don't think this will work. Is it possible for like an Islamic financial institution, if they decided that one of the, one of the things that they saw value in from a business perspective was having a diverse workforce, including uh, equal representation or more or larger rec representation by women uh, in their workforce. Is that something that, a, that a, a financial institution working alone could could do or is that difficult without a broader uh, broader development of opportunity for women uh, more generally across this? Uh, uh, I believe this within, um, within the Islamic financial institutions or financial institutions itself, they could work towards uh, achieving this objective. There is no um, inhibition for that. However, again, we need to talk about the leadership role here. Uh, from the top, 
that type of direction should come because from the bottom it, it, it didn't come. So that's why um, there is need to acknowledge the problem within the industry and there is need to uh, find adequate solutions to resolve this problem. So I believe that one way of doing that is again, um, within an Islamic financial institution, we can introduce, um, for example, quota system. Uh, the reason why I have to talk about quota system over and over again is I believe that to start something new, it's important to uh, use some element of force. Otherwise, we are not going to change our mindset just like that. If it were uh, so easy, definitely now we would have seen that change automatically uh, being implemented. But we haven't seen that, right? For example, let's say um, with me, I have the statistics of the past. Uh, I mean, there are a few reports which has been written about female issues or female participation in Islamic finance industry, especially when we talk about um, the leadership roles and um, other roles played by women in Islamic finance industries. You know, there are lots of opportunities uh, and roles that could be played by uh, females in Islamic finance industry as well. So the statistics I have here is, um, as you know, Isfaya, um, that's a magazine which is published um, in the UK, Islamic Finance Review. Um, <laughs> which is an official publication of Islamic Bankers Association. So um, they've been in the past years publishing uh, reports about women who are leading Islamic finance industry. So uh, when I did an analysis of the ISFIRE 2017 report, I found that um, when they acknowledged 50 uh, females who are leading Islamic finance, the trend is that um, they acknowledge 14 females working in organizations in senior positions of Islamic financial institutions, 14 females uh, working in educational sector, out of which two are members of the Sharia Council, two are in research academy, two females in the legal field, one female uh, was a former deputy minister, two were former CEOs, Two were former governors of central banks. One was a former chairman of the Securities Market Regulatory Authority. Eleven were CEOs or managing directors. Two were directors and two worked in regulatory authorities. So what I'm trying to prove here is that uh, when they came up with the statistics, we see that um, you know not everybody is uh, working currently in those positions and. I mean, there are very less females who are working at the top positions in Islamic uh, financial institutions itself, proving that we haven't acknowledged the importance of female participation. And I don't even know whether we have formally acknowledged that there's a gender gap uh, between uh, male and female who are working in top positions in Islamic financial institutions. So the moment we recognize this, I think the way forward would be again, uh, introduce quota system and ensure that whatever is being neglected before in terms of gender equality must be uh, given back by acknowledging the problem and uh, finding adequate uh, solutions to resolve it.
by giving opportunity. So giving opportunity is the most important thing right now that we should do if we were to resolve this problem. And if we look at the gender uh, gap reports, we find that, for example, there are so many countries which they have done research on. When it comes to Middle East, um, they have uh, given statistics to prove that there are gender gaps. Uh, this is not per se, we are not talking about Islamic financial institutions, it's in general. So if the statistics uh, in those countries are so low when it comes to the general gender gap, wh what will happen to the, you know, um, within Islamic financial institutions, what would be the case? And we all know from the past uh, three years, because in the past three years, if you look at uh, the progress of Islamic finance, we find that uh, there have been a number of uh, reports issued specifically on gender issues in Islamic financial institutions. And those reports give us the result that in the top leading positions, women, female are less. When it comes to Sharia scholars and their representations in Islamic finance, Malaysia is an exception, but rest in the rest of the parts of the world, uh, this is again an issue that we have to resolve. Now, um, you might ask why is, an, is a Malaysia an exception to this? The reason is because in Malaysia, starting from the political scenario, educational sector and economic sector itself, they give opportunity to females to grow and their culture and social norms are, um, you know, are structured in a way that women are being given opportunity. So opportunity is the key word here. In other parts of the world, for example, if you look at Pakistan, Pakistan is also um, a country who has led Islamic finance long time back. But if you look at the top positions as well as uh, the Sharia scholars, the number of female Sharia scholars uh, originating from Pakistan, you find that the number is, um, as far as I know, there is only one female scholar sitting in a Sharia advisory committee that is also outside Pakistan. Other than that, uh, no one sits in a Sharia advisory committee. So why do we have that type of uh, that type of statistics? And what does it mean? It simply means that um, opportunity is not given. It's not because I, I don't believe that there aren't enough qualified people there, but it's just that there is some problem in giving opportunities to them. If opportunities uh, were given um, today, even in Pakistan, we would see a scenario similar to that of Malaysia, where there will be a lot of um, females running Islamic finance industry. Yeah, I, th I think that's uh, a good point to make. And I, I think if it, in, in gaining the awareness uh, within the senior ranks of Islamic financial institutions that they should have, in, have more women at all levels. Uh, yeah, what, and, and uh, yes. Yeah. If I may, another mm -hmm. example which I could give is, um, for example, Islamic Development Bank. In 1975, it was established with Dubai Islamic Bank, right? But if you look at the statistics, how many women uh, are working in IDB? Um, I, I don't think I'm personally satisfied with the number of females working there. Now, if, if we deliberate on the reasons why the females working in IDB is low, people say, because 
um, IDB is based in Saudi Arabia and they associate everything uh, related to this issue with the cultural and social norms of Saudi Arabia. But how do we resolve it? Again, it's uh, by giving opportunity. So how do we give opportunity? By introducing quota system. The moment the quota system is introduced, everybody will make sure that they handpick the best brains in the whole world and put them there. Otherwise, this wouldn't work. And since 1975 up until now, the same problem persists, persists all over the years is because this issue has not been acknowledged and um, attention to resolve this issue has not been given. So I believe that this is a good example to show that automatically these uh, problems will not resolve and automatically these problems are not resolved, not because females are less capable or they don't possess the educational qualification required. Simply that's because opportunity is not given and if we were to resolve this problem, the key word is opportunity. We need to give opportunity to females and uh, the way to give opportunity is by introducing quota system. Yeah, well, I think there's, there's been some movement on the educational front where uh, more of the graduates uh, recently in, in some of the higher income Muslim majority countries are women. And so the next step then is, you know, what's their opportunity to, to take that education and, and make positive change. And so I hope that the, we'll see some development within the Islamic financial industry to recognize that, uh, that bringing in an opportunity for women uh, is something that is in their interest for a number of reasons, from, from the social angle to financial angles, because greater diversity within institutions has been found in multiple studies to, to bring in better overall performance because it breaks through the, uh, the echo, echo chamber that can, can develop when sort of homogenous groups of, of any composition uh, are put in charge of decision-making. Um, yes, definitely. Because um, the reason why education is not so much emphasized right now when, it, when we talk about gender gap, especially in Islamic finance, is because if you look at the university statistics, you'll find that um, the number of female graduates are more uh, compared to uh, male especially in degree programs. For example, if we look at the statistics of uh, INSEF, the Global University of Islamic Finance, again, there is not much um, gap between male and female. However, um, and plus there are certain programs that have been introduced in the past years to focus specifically on female grooming. Um, one of those programs uh, is every year, uh, there's a scholarship given in association with MasterCard to ensure that, uh, you know, a female is groomed who has capacity and capability to lead Islamic finance industry. So if these types of initiatives are already taken in the educational sector, what happens when they go out from the universities? Why aren't they given the opportunities? So. Uh, by looking at the practical uh, and social phenomena of different countries, um, there are good reasons or um, good rationals given for this uh, behave social behavior as well. 
because some people believe that, um, as you know, the carrier ladder is quite long. So within, um, by stepping, you know, first few steps, some uh, females, they start family and they believe that they have to go out of the workforce in order to raise a family. Again, this very much depends on the social and cultural um, um, behavior of the particular area in which the female lives. So because of this, they have to go out of the workforce and again, they have to join the workforce later on at the later part of their um, lifetime. And by then, uh, they don't get much opportunity to uh, excel in their career. As a result, they tend to uh, be in the same rank and they don't get opportunity to get promotion and be the leader of the particular institution. So this is, uh, again, a reason that we shall not forget as well. So in order to resolve this type of, you know, career advancement barriers, I believe that uh, it's important for the institutions and the governments to introduce um, the enabling infrastructure for women to grow in their career. This simply means that, for example, if they were to um, give birth and uh, if they opt to work from their home, with the technological advancement we have, there's no reason why we can't facilitate that. And if um, they were to go to uh, opt to go to work, definitely we need to provide opportunity um, to give them flexible working hours so that they wouldn't have to sacrifice their career for the sake of raising uh, their families. So I believe that from the government's perspectives and from the financial institution's perspective, this is something we have to really think about and this is something we have to, you know, uh, think through and formulate uh, ways to resolve this. And I believe that, for example, we can take, uh, it, um, if we look at uh, the case of Maldives, the current government uh, have acknowledged this pro uh, problem and they have introduced um, working from home as well as flexible working hours to women so that at least they don't have to sacrifice their careers to raise their families. So because of the inherent um, social obligation of women, uh, this is something we have to acknowledge and we have to resolve as well. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of new possibilities with technology to that can help help break down like physical barriers of, of uh, women continuing their career after they after they have children. Um, so I think it's a really important uh, topic for, for Islamic finance to address. It's a really important issue that I think the financial se uh, financial sector as a whole has yet to fully fully address. And so Islamic finance you know has an opportunity here again uh, to to advance, advance the issue on its own and with the support of other developments uh, across government, education sector, uh, and other private sector institutions. Do you have any, uh, any, any final uh, additional suggestions uh, of how the Islamic financial institutions can, can be more inclusive and, and better support the advancement of, of women's careers? 
Um, of course, I believe that a strategy needs to be uh, put in place to resolve this issue because we have come up with so many uniform standards that could be applied uh, throughout the jurisdictions, right? But um, resolving gender gap is an area which we haven't uh, deliberated enough or acknowledged enough. Not only that we are talking about number of uh, women in the top positions of Islamic financial institutions, but from customers or stakeholders' perspective, we also need to formulate a strategy in which women inclusion could be uh, facilitated in terms of providing uh, products as well. So today, uh, if we look at uh, the market, we always talk about uh, value-based intermediation or how do we integrate Islamic finance with maqasid sharia or objectives of uh, Islamic law. So if we look at these two areas, these two perspectives of gender equality, we find that from the maqasid sharia perspective or from a perspective where we are talking, we are analyzing this issue from um, VBI or value-based intermediation perspective, we find that there is need to address this issue in a uniform way. Maybe AOF or IFSB can lead in this if we can talk about corporate governance of uh, applicable to Islamic finance, why can't we come up with a strategy that could be applied uniformly throughout the jurisdiction in resolving uh, women issue um, in terms of building their career in Islamic finance and also uh, female empowerment through uh, giving or offering um, Islamic financial products. So I think that is something we need to think about because right now Islamic finance has advanced to an extent where we need to think about this as well. And when we talk about value-based intermediation, this is something we have to think about as well because historically we've been debating uh, as to whether female must be equal to males in Islamic finance industry or not. But I think today we have come to a level where we have already acknowledged that the presence of uh, females are important to Islamic finance, whether it is within Islamic financial institutions or outside Islamic financial institutions when it comes to economic and social development uh, of the country. So I think um, this is the most important thing we have to emphasize and we have to ensure that it happens within the next uh, five years or so. Otherwise, I think uh, we will be just lagging behind in this and as a result, um, social implications uh, might arise that we might regret later on. Yeah, I think the, it's, it's important now for Islamic financial institutions at least to start measuring the share of women in the workforce and also developing their specific policies around how they view uh, women empowerment and uh, employment opportunities for women. Because once, once there's something that's put down, that at least gives a starting point for further discussion to increase the, increase the opportunities available for women. 
Yes, and I think the key is by giving opportunity. Because without opportunity, there is nothing much we could do. Uh, because if we really look at um, the issue, we know that there are invisible barriers. If the barriers can be seen, then it's easier to, you know, eliminate them. But if there are invisible barriers, how are we going to even find out ways to eliminate them? Because in different countries, the invisible barriers are in different ways. It's not uniform across the jurisdictions. So I believe that a giving opportunity should be the key. And this is something we have to promote so that at least, you know, the next generation of Islamic finance will benefit from it. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a great point. I think that's a, a really good uh, forward looking place to, to end the podcast. Thank you so much for, for your time. And uh, is there, is there anything you want to add before we end? Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity and I'm very happy to talk about gender issues in Islamic finance because this is again an area that we never explore or nobody gives importance to it. So I'm so happy that you gave importance to this issue and I really hope that in future we will be able to talk about this more and find uh, practical solutions to resolve this not only in specific countries but in all the countries uh, in the world where we are facing this problem. And I also hope that uh, multilateral institutions like Islamic Development Bank uh, will give priority to these issues and they will become leaders in Islamic finance industry, showing uh, the best examples for the other Islamic financial institutions to follow. And also, I also, uh, I also hope that uh, when we talk about relating maqasid al-sharia, or VBI, value-based intermediation, we will give emphasize on uh, narrowing the gender gap in Islamic finance industry, whether from a career perspective or in terms of obtaining Islamic finance uh, products. So I just hope that these things will realize soon and we will have a better future in Islamic finance industry. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to the Responsible Finance Podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. If you want to stay updated about RFI's work, you can find the link to subscribe to our newsletter on our Twitter feed, at RFI Foundation. You can also follow me, at Sharing Risk. Hope you'll join us for our next podcast.